0: You're listening to a podcast from Why Not a Woman, celebrating women in public and private life in Ireland, 1918 to 2018, the Women's History Association of Ireland's annual conference for 2018. The conference took place in Dublin Castle on the 15th of December and was supported by the Department of Culture, Heritage and the Gaeltacht. Podcasting was by Real Smart Media. This podcast features the first panel at the conference. Celebrating women in public life, family reflections and legacy. The panel was Brian Fennell, husband of the late Nuala Fennell, Fianna TD and Senator 1981 to 1992, Brian Lynch, son of Celia Lynch, Fianna Fáil TD from 1954 to 1977, and Tom Ferris, husband of Neve Brannock, Labour TD 1992 to 1997. The discussion was chaired by Claire McGing from Anyway Manuth.
1: Thank you very much, and welcome to uh, Why Not A Woman? Celebrating women in public and private life in Ireland over the past 100 years. Uh, We've had a really historic year, and particularly an historic couple of days. For some of us, this is like our sixth or seventh event. (laughs) Uh, So I'm delighted to open the first panel, and I believe it's the first time it's ever been done, where we're going to reflect and commemorate on the role of women in the Oireachtas, women TDs, through the lens of men who knew them um, um, very well, very close relatives. I suppose there's often, you ever hear the phrase behind every good man is a, is, a, is a good woman? Well I'm going to turn that around in its head today. There was only 114 women TDs ever elected to the Oireachtas and I as I said have three relatives with me here. I have, um, I have Tom Ferris who is husband of Neve Bradnock Uh, Tom um, uh, is married, has been married to Neve for 49 years, and it was actually their wedding anniversary yesterday, I'm I'm told. Um, He's a former economist in the Department of Transport as a public servant. He's now an independent economic consultant and has a very impressive um, uh, uh, CV. I won't won't, uh, go too much into it. Uh, Neve was a Labour TD. She was elected in 1992, and she's one of only six women, or six TDs ever to be appointed as a cabinet minister in her first term in the doll. Only two women have done that. The other is uh, Minister Catherine Zapone. And she was a senator in the 21st uh, Shannon and was a councillor in Black Rock from 2004 to 2014 then I have uh, Brian Fennell um, who was married to the wonderful late Nuala Fennell for over 50 years um, he was involved in many of her campaigns around equality and women's rights and um, they have two daughters and a son and five grandchildren and Nuala of course was a Fine Gael TD for Dublin South elected in 81 um, and she was appointed Minister of State in both the Department of the Taoiseach and Department of Justice for women's affairs and family law and was a really important feminist figure um, from from the 60s, um, on 70s, uh, 80s onwards. And finally, then, I have um, Brian Lynch, um, who is is a very um, accomplished writer. He is the son of Celia Lynch, who was a Fianna Fáil TD elected in 1954. Um, He has written a a wide variety of poetry, novels, plays, films, um, etc. And in 2007, he was the university fellow, a writing fellow in Trinity College, Dublin, and was the writer in residence at Farm Lee. So a really great um, uh, panel. So the first thing I'm going to do, we're going to have a discussion um, later on, but the first thing we're going to do for about 10 minutes is that Brian is actually going to read a piece he has prepared for us, um, looking through his mother's history and his wider family history.
2: And one of the things that resulted out of talking to Claire and people associated with the conference is that I considered my mother's background more closely perhaps than I had in, in years, and it taught me how uh, um, awkwardly my mother fits into a scheme of things based on social class. Uh, and I'm going to illustrate this by referring to uh, my, my father and mother's uh, or, origins. I'll do it as quick quickly as I can. The first record we have on my father's side of the family is a, a Porico line sheet. Uh, who was hanged in 1796. If he'd only waited a couple of years, we could have claimed him for a a patriot in the 1798 rebellion, but I think he was probably a sheep stealer. Um, My father was too young to fight in 1916. He was 14 at the time. But his brother, Pat, fought in the GPO and was subsequently interned in Frangok. I think he was a commander of one of the huts there. He also took part in the War of Independence and the Civil War. You can read his record in the Military History Archive website. Uh, I just wanted to refer to one thing in his, in his career, uh, which I have a subject that I haven't heard referred to, and that is he says that he took part in a chastisement, what, what he called a chastisement. I rather suspect that this was an IRA be- beating of a woman who had associated with a soldier. Uh, my father, as I said, didn't fight in the, in the war, but he was studied during this period to be a doctor. He became, he qualified in the early 1920s. Just the other day, I came upon a letter of recommendation written for him by the master of Hollistreet, who says in the letter that my father was a particularly good midwife. Uh, he, his political involvement began early. He was elected to the Dáil when he was, about, uh, when he was 30 uh, in 1932, and he served there until his death in 1952. So he then was, entered the Senate. So my mother wasn't, strictly speaking, a political widow. There, there was a, an interval of a couple of years between that and when she was elected, and she then went on to be one of the longest-serving T.D.'s uh, in the the Oireachtas. Now, but it's my mother's uh, origins that I want to tell you something about. Her maiden name was Quinn, Celia Quinn. Uh, Her father, Florimond Quinn, was so grand that Lady Gregory was one of his tenants. Uh, She rented land from him on his estate at Douris House outside Kinvara. The name Floriment't all That wasn't all that unusual in those days. If you know the novels of Somerville and, and Ross, the well-known characters there, Flurry Flurry Knox was, that was his name, Florimont. But my uh, grandfather didn't get his name in uh, the usual Irish way. It was French. It was, it was given to him by his father. My great grandfather, in honor of the previous owner of the estate, the Count Florimond de Bastereau. Now, I wish I could tell you, had more time to tell you about de Bastereau. He was an absolutely fascinating character. In some ways, he could be said to have helped shape Hitler's obsession with the master race. He he was the patron of Arthur Gobineau, who who, who originated. The theory of the, the master raised in large part. Um, Gobineau and De Bastro were great influences uh, on uh, W. B. Yeats and on Lady Gregory and Edward Martin, who lived nearby near uh, dora's House in Tullara Castle. Uh, and it was they it, this, this, that group of people: Yeats, Lady Gregory, Edward Martin who on a rainy afternoon in Douris in 1898 decided to set up the Abbey Theatre. Uh, My great grandfather John Quinn was certainly there on the day. He was the steward of the estate and the travelling companion and friend of the Count. He travelled with them all over Europe and I think further afield to probably to, um, uh, to America north and south, perhaps even China. De Bastro was a great, uh, a world-class chess player. He wrote a large book on this, the the subject. I, I was going to quote to you from Lady Gregory's uh, um, autobiography a description of my grandfather uh, bringing the, uh, the great French novelist uh, Paul Bourget to to Duras. But I'll just quote to you what uh, he picked up Bourget at Gort. Railway station, and when they came within the sight of the the sea, my great grandfather said to uh, uh, Paul Bourget, Voila la mer qui baigne l'Amérique et les terres de Monsieur le Comte. So my great grandfather could speak uh, uh, French. He pointed to the sea and said, This is the sea that touches America and the lands of the Count. He was referring to the Atlantic. Um, when, my, when the Count died in 1904, the, my, my great-grandfather bought the, the, the estate. It was, it was no great shakes as land, mostly. Uh, Paul Bourget said it was le Royaume du Pierre, a kingdom of stone. It was stone and bog. Um, so my, my great-grandfather then died in 1919, my grandfather inherited the the house uh, from him. What I want to do, and what I think is interesting at this time of the of commemorations, is to just look at a, a brief period in uh, 1919 and 1920. It was a period of extraordinary violence around uh, Doris house in in that year. And I, I ask you to remember that my mother was. 11 years of age, 12 years of age. So try and imagine this looking through the eyes of a, of a, very, young, a very young girl. In that uh, year, 1919, a, a man uh, who was an ex-RIC man was murdered very close to, to Dora's house. And the man charged with his, his murder, uh, oddly enough, was called John Quinn, no relation to my. My grand, grandfather, um, he, was, uh, he pleaded guilty to manslaughter. In the following year, a woman called Ellen Quinn was murdered, shot by a, a passing uh, lorry. And uh, there were, as a result of that, two brothers called Nan were murdered and dragged through the streets in, on, behind a lorry. They were buried very near to uh, Doris house, and actually they were photographed in their coffins and the, the This photograph was widely distributed It is a, a, an appalling an appalling sight and if you can imagine now, my mother certainly wouldn't have gone there for various to the wake for various reasons, but she surely would have heard about it, and the atmosphere of terror in that during that 1919 1920 uh, 21 period was really quite extraordinary one of the reasons why she wouldn't have gone there and this I'll try and and speed up and and bring this these opening remarks to a conclusion is because she was far too familiar with the spilling of blood in 1919 and the blood was her father's uh, and I uh, quote this from the Irish Times in May the third, nineteen nineteen. My, gra- my great grandfather was still alive at the at the time. Uh, my my grandfather was actually a, a, ma- a magistrate, a justice of the peace. So he was uh, a person who was in a position of some authority. But this is the Irish Times report. It's very very brief, and the heading is. Magistrate and herd fired on. Mr. Florimond Quinn, a well known magistrate and farmer, who resides at Duris, Kinvara, and his herd, Thomas Divney were fired at and wounded while about their work last week, the former receiving several pellets on the back of the head, while the herd was wounded in the hand. The shooting took place at Raheen and the assailant or assailants fired at close range from behind the shelter of a wall. The reason locally assigned for the outrage is that Mr. Quinn recently acquired possession of a farm that had belonged to the late Mr. Patrick Nolan of Gort. So what's interesting thing about, about this is uh, um, I can read it to you now, and I would have heard it vaguely from my mother, but my mother actually didn't speak about it. I think there was a... a uh, it was an act of willing forgetting. She willed to forget it. And I think that's a very important theme running down through certainly this last 100 years of of our history. So I'll, I'll stop there. Thank you Brian
1: for that fascinating, beautifully written family history. I think it's important, as you pointed out, to note that your mother wasn't technically one of the widow's seats because she didn't inherit it. Um, What are your memories of your mother being selected? And am I correct in thinking she didn't have, she wasn't guaranteed the selection, there was a little bit um, of difficulty? Uh,
2: Yes, well, well, Eamon de Valera, I think, certainly didn't want her to be chosen for a variety of uh, reasons. But uh, my mother had a large... Uh, um, coterie of supporters who were also my my father's, and they put pressure on De Valera, and really it was uh, local democracy in the in the constituency that overcame his will, and my mother was as it were imposed on the leadership.
1: And we, can you were you involved in the campaign as a child? I was too.
2: I was too young in 1954. I was just. Nine, But I was aware of it, and of course, subsequent elections. But uh, my, as I was saying to Niamh earlier on, my own natural sympathies, certainly then, were much uh, to the left of my uh, mother, and I, and I was rather distant. But my, my siblings, uh, younger and older siblings, they took part in, a, in elections, and I did too, to a certain, a, a certain extent.
1: Um, Brian, uh, Nula, of course didn't start out as a Fine Gael, uh, candidate. She ran in 1977 on an independent yes, yes, ticket. Independent. Yes, could yeah. you tell us what led her to, to make that decision? Yep,
3: because she, she was a member of a group called the Women's Political Association and they felt a bit annoyed that most, the main candidate, women candidates were political widows or daughters and so they um, she was a great believer in you know, instead of talking the talk, she'd walk the walk, so she decided she'd run. And um, she had no political experience. She was a journalist at the time. There were few friends came around and helped some I remember the late June Levine cooked meals for her. Her, her <coughs> husband, Ivor Brown, was so tall he was able to put um, posters, which were bad, very badly printed black and white posters on lampposts. And I have a memory of him standing on the bridge at Shank Hill. And he was—he didn't need a ladder. He was so tall. And I was hammering it, uh, the bottom ones. Yeah. Um, So she ran then, and she did very well. She came fifth in a four-seat constituency, and her votes her transfers elected John Horgan, which I think was a worthwhile thing. Um, He was a good man to get into the doll. And then she was asked to run in the first European election in um, seventy-nine. Fine asked her to run and she had some, her father was a Fine Gael supporter and, um, but he couldn't canvass because he was a guard sergeant and they weren't allowed to be involved in politics at the time. So she admired Gareth Fitzgerald. She thought that he understood women's needs. He was forward thinking, he wanted to change things and she was happy to, to run for Fine Gael. and she nearly made the European Parliament but thank God she didn't because <coughs> it was a, ter- a terrible life. It yep.
1: been very different. Yeah. And actually, she writes if anyone hasn't read it, her memoirs, which were published a couple of years ago really, really good read, i recommend it. But she mm-hmm. writes in it that a number of political journalists had bet that she would lose her £100 deposit, mm-hmm. and she ended up getting 10% of the first preference vote and, yeah. sh- and showed mm-hmm. them. So, yeah. um, a remarkable um, mm-hmm. uh, feat. Um, Tom, you, of course, as a civil servant, when, when your wife, Niamh, rang ran uh, for election uh, in 1992, presumably you couldn't get actively involved in her campaign.
4: I was like the garden sergeant. I had to stay behind the screen. But that didn't mean that things weren't happening. I mean, we had our kitchen cabinet, cabinet. <laughs> uh So it was the son and the daughter. And, and indeed, it was so... Typical of Neve organising things. There had to be minutes of these meetings as well. But life did change when she got elected and the cook disappeared and suddenly the narrow range. In fact, I have an acronym which is clams, which is having done the bolognese sauce, you then get in the chili con carne, the lasagna and the moussaka. <laughs> uh, and we, I still cook them. I think my family are bored with it. But it, but it was a big shock to the system, except that... The preparation had been made, but be, for me, behind doors. You
1: know, it's an important point because <clears throat> the difficulties for women in politics are so well established, and you know we often say that male politicians have you know female support very often at home. But when a woman politician gets elected, and there's very been very few of them, ultimately the, some of the pressure must go on on her husband. Yeah, you
3: need a
4: wife at yeah. home. so
3: the man has to do some of the. And my,
4: the George Foreman came into it as well. You
0: know. yeah. That's still around. Yeah.
3: Jackie did a lot of the mothering. Yeah, and I did the cooking. And she's a great cook too. But um, it was fun. It was great. Yeah. It was exciting. Um, there were different times. There were doors being opened and old shiblets being thrown in, into ditches and abolished. It was great.
4: Yeah. Actually, Brian mentioned putting up the posters in Shankill. My father was a railway mm. man. His station was Shankill Railway Station yeah. For It was closed by mm. Todd Andrews many years sure. ago. Uh, but I, too, late at night, even though I wasn't supposed to put up posters, mm. and my one best story is when we found out after elections we were being told about posters that were up along to Neve Brannock which had been put up because if you know you're charged that they're left up beyond a period. So taking down the ones that shouldn't have been up was much more interesting. <laughs>
1: Brian, your mother, of course, when when she went into the doll, um, so there was seven of you. Am I correct? Wow.
2: Yeah, this is a, a rather different scenario because when my father died, I, I may have given the impression that my mother was a, a wealthy woman, but far from it. When my when my father died in 1954, uh, uh, she had seven children. The youngest of which, my brother Joe, was I think two or three years. He was two or three years old. So she had seven children, no income, uh, and she was really pretty much penniless. So the, I, I, the, the, the choice was either to go back to, to teaching, which is what she had done, because she'd studied in, in UCG and had a number of degrees from there, or to go into politics. So she went into politics, and I'm, I'm sure both of my uh, colleagues here remember that People didn't really appreciate you worked like a demon when you were when you were in the doll. From my mother was up and out of the house usually around eight o'clock in the morning and often didn't come back till ten or twelve o'clock at night. Yeah. So I mean it was very hard work and very badly paid. In fact, when my mother went into the doll, they weren't paid at all. TDs weren't paid at all. They got an allowance. They got an allowance of seven hundred and fifty pounds a year. Imagine trying to rear seven children on £750 a year. Of course, in those days, it was a great deal more than the vast majority of people had. But still...
1: And pensions for widows of TDs weren't introduced until 1968, um, which explains why some some presumably went in. I suppose politics is a 24-7 job, very often, very, very long hours, and in all three of your cases, um, of course, uh, Tom, your wife, uh, a cabinet minister, and there's a very good story if people have read Martina Fitzgerald's new book on Madam Politician about Pancake Tuesday. Before Eve was elected, um, as I do want to tell the story. Actually, Um, it's a very good story. I I think
4: my Mokhara and my Clenam, they still remember it each (laughs) Show Tuesday. The fact that the pancakes were not cooked on that day. But I'm an economist, and and I really play to the tune of short-term pain for long-term gain. In other words, so what? You miss the pancakes (laughs) that weren't cooked, but I can see. Of course we didn't know on that day the decision she had to make. If she left that room on that day... And it
1: was Dick Spring, of course, who was leader at the time, and he didn't realise it was Pancake Tuesday, and he pushed out the meeting by two hours, and Eve had gotten up early that morning to make the pancake batter. (laughs) Um, But a really good reflection, I suppose, on the the demands between the public and the private spheres for women politicians. I'm sure... um, I'm sure Brian Nula also had to make those kind of demands, particularly when she became a Minister of State.
3: Yeah, bit, I'm just thinking about Brian. I'll call him the young Brian <laughs> beside me here. Um, he, he, if Nula was home before 11 at night, it meant she'd forgotten a meeting somewhere. It, and you're, you're, you worked Saturday, and also if there was something on the constituency on the Sunday, you almost certainly had to be there because your running mate or your opponent from the other party would be there. It, it's a long, it's, it's, I don't know why anybody would want to do it. Huge yeah. sacrifice. I wouldn't. They, Actually, wouldn't, have, that we were, they wouldn't have run would the window. As as, as but hope, isn't in it interesting
4: case. that mm. all of us on this mm. panel and stand open to correction. There are no children of ours who mm. would enter into it. Certain are two children. Mm. They, they have an interest in politics. Not for running for election. Yes, did any of
1: your children ever think of it?
3: Not to run as a candidate, but Jacqueline has a business um, in public affairs, and my son is also involved in public affairs, and they have great interest in politics, yeah, but never to run. They see how hard it is.
1: Mm. What about your own, Brian? My mother,
2: uh, when she was retiring, uh, she asked me, would I be interested in it? I think it was like, she wasn't, I don't think she. I think she knew pretty much that I that I uh, wouldn't. I sort of thought about it. I don't think it was a serious offer. In fact, my my sister, that the the eldest in the family, Fanula, who was very active in politics in local politics in Cavan, where she she went to live, uh, would have been would have been uh, the more obvious choice, or my or uh, my two two elder uh, uh, brothers. I, I, in those days, I was very left-wing, uh, um, not as left-wing now as I was uh, then. So, in fact, uh, I would have been utterly opposed to, to Fianna Fáil. So, my, at the time, my natural instincts would be much more towards uh, the Labour Party. So, anyway, I said no. I, I said no. Thank God for Ireland.
1: <laughs> Are there any questions from the floor at this point before I move on to, to another topic
0: the first questioner asked whether the panel would agree with changing doll hours to encourage more women into politics.
3: Because Nola hadn't been, had a political background, she didn't know how the doll worked, and she arranged for seminars in the doll that things should work, and that they should be taught how the doll worked. And that was the first thing. Um, there's certainly, I think doll hours should be changed. Um, maybe procedures in the doll should be changed and get n- n- not have these unending debates. It could be modified, I'm sure. Yeah. It, it wouldn't be wife-friendly or family-friendly. I would
4: say yes, mm. but then I reflect on it, the harsh reality of mm. politics and mm. the competition. It might be one thing to say, reduce the hours, mm. but the pressures, and I can observe it, are even greater now in terms of... Oh, yeah. And even in terms of uh, looking at Twitter from last night, uh, the exhibition that's on up... The hall from here that people were already tweeting with the political emphasis on terms of what happened last evening. So in theory yes, but in practice it wouldn't have an impact.
1: And interestingly in all three of your cases of course the, the women TDs were in Dublin based constituencies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean Brian when you yeah. were a child and your mother was, in, was a TD you know, could she could she spend much time with you in the morning, say, before she would have to go into the doll?
2: No, my 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 mother was, you know, trying to, to rear seven, to provide simply for seven uh, uh, children, and we lived in a in a, a large house just down beside the Botanic Gardens in in Glasnevin. So my mother was rather absent from from the fa- the family. Literally, she had to be absent. I, I don't think really changing the, the regime, uh, though, of course, I mean, it's it's just obvious that it should be, that there should be all kinds of child-minding and, and crashes and so on. But that should involve men as much as uh, women because they they it should be a joint uh, um, enterprise. Indeed, single-sex uh, 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 marriages or relationships have to be uh, uh, accommodated there. But I don't think there's anything that can change the basic nature of of the work. It's absolutely crushing work to be to devote your life with and get very little thanks uh, for it. Is something that that really cannot change. If you're going to be, if you're a, a a woman, particularly because it relates to your childbearing years, you're going to have to make a, a sacrifice of. Uh, a certain uh, part of your uh, of your life with your children it applies to men as well, but particularly yeah. to women. It's a crushing it's a crushing task, and there isn't any way to avoid it. The same thing applies in industry. You know, if you're going to work a 14, 15, 16 hour day, and uh, which you do when you're getting to the the top, so-called top of any any enterprise. You're going to have to work the the these hours. They don't allow mm. for uh, for. There family is a point, Brian,
3: though. Um, with the computers, liberated women in, in work to some degree. Um, both my daughters have their own businesses. Both of them can work from home and occasionally go into their office. And maybe the doll could change things. You know, it, I think the computer that has liberated women. It's made it easier for a woman. To be a mother and involved in her own, her career as well, and maybe the politics should be a bit the same. But maybe that's, that's teleconferencing a big jump. or yeah. something. Like remote yeah, has been discussed. Yeah. So do you have anything to add yeah. on that?
4: Could I pick a slightly different dimension? Mm-hmm. And it really is um, going back to when Dick Spring, who was Thornister, uh, had the meeting with Neve, The conversation, as we say nowadays, <laughs> saying that she was Minister for Education. Well, one of the things she recalled for me was that he said. How life would change, not just for her, for her family, and that is something and you know it's decades on now, but one can still find the occasion you meet somebody, and suddenly it comes up again that it is the way the life and speak for your both, both the, the primes families are affected. it isn't just the, the TD, the minister.
1: The wider impact. Yeah. I mean, constituency work, of course, places massive demands on, on TDs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to get back to your own mother, Brian, back in her time, there was no very little administrative support for constituency work. Do you remember? Would constituents there, come to the House? There was
2: precisely none, as far as, uh, as I recollect. My mother used to have uh, um, clinics, people would call to the House and be brought into the the dining room, which is a room that we didn't uh, use. My mother used it as a sort of a, uh, an office, constantly going. And also, in, the, uh, in those days, on the on the telephone, the old wind-up uh, uh, telephone. And my mother worked in very, very poor... Uh, uh, she, she represented very, very poor areas. So from a very early age, I, I, I and the rest of my siblings, were used to answering the phone, taking messages from people who were living, you know, a, a woman living in one room with 12, 14 children, with, and uh, maybe a, a child would have rickets or TB, which was a very common disease. The word that struck terror into me as a, as a child was the word diphtheria and whooping cough. These things were, these, these were horrors. And of course, we were, as it were, middle class. But the the people my mother represented were very often uh, suffering from these illnesses and dying and dying very young. So uh, the change in the, uh, the in this city, my mother represented. Uh, this was her area over towards Corporation Street, in in particular. And I remember we we used to canvass. There, in a place was 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 called the cage. It was a, a block of flats with wire uh, in, in the central courtyard, separating the balconies and people falling off. And there was a great deal of, I mean, there was a great deal of criminality in the uh, in and around extreme poverty and vi- and violence. Uh, uh, I remember my father, uh, uh, talking about the the Hinchikoff. A gang, or the animal gang, as they were known, who were uh, um, extremely violent, um, and there were, you know, there were incidents in that. I think my father was certainly, being a, he was a dispensary doctor as well as a, uh, as a TD for the area. Uh, he was dealing with that on the on the ground on a, a constant basis. So the the world is the world has greatly changed, particularly this is city uh, and I'm sure the same applied throughout the, the, the rest of the country
4: actually I'd like to make a contiguous point there Thank it is when I met Brown first she was a national school teacher in St. Audience uh, yes, which is the, only up the road just up Oliver Bond Flats and yes. you talk about dangerous situations I won't mm. name the name but in recent years reading in the paper somebody that she had taught as a small child who yes. had been
0: killed in a pub
1: Yes. Uh, all of the all of the three women represented Neve, uh, Nuala, and Celia. All represented women's issues and were active on albeit in different ways. Mm-hmm. But Brian, particularly for Nuala, it was her reason for getting into politics, yeah. and she had been a very successful feminist campaigner prior to her electoral career, hadn't
3: she? Yeah, she was a journalist and she she did a lot of things. She set up the first home for battered wives in Ireland. Um, the, the funny thing this is going off your question a little bit, but um, women didn't support women and women still don't vote for women and this is daft and if women want more women in politics they should vote for a woman candidate even if it doesn't try to, um, lie in with the traditional family beliefs I remember one time, this will be very brief and my mother who was all of it was about 82 at the time and she was a small woman and my mother and I were canvassing in Ballantir and my mother called at this door and said, I'm canvassing for Nuala Fennell, and this woman said I won't give her a vote, she's a deserted wife, and my mother grew about six inches and she said, I beg your pardon, I'm a mother-in-law, and that's my son or her husband, three doors away and, you know, how daft is that attitude, but women should vote for women, and it would change the political landscape and was women the WPA, their slogan was why not a woman and why not indeed and it still holds true now of course where
4: the title comes <laughs> from Lee Brandt has a shorthand on this, it's called the Mary moment and the Mary moment is where you're doing very well on an issue mm. with men in politics and the person that you're really trying to convince and you've convinced them goes home for their dinner and talks to Mary and when he comes back after the lunch, the Mary mm. moment has happened and it doesn't get the support that you'd like But it's reinforcing the point that Brian Fennell is making.
1: And have either of you over the years, when I know you were a little bit more restricted in canvassing, but in in more recent years, um, did either of you on the doors, either Tom or Brian, would you ever get comments from people to say, you know, misogynistic comments about your wife being in politics or your wife (coughs) being in public life?
4: Well, I certainly, again, won't name names, working in the civil service, there were certain people who were quite liable to make comments to see what your reaction would be. Uh, I can't think of anyone specifically in terms of canvassing.
3: No. No, I got a phone call one time about the time that the 40-foot Is invasion a of women story? and um, <laughs> women were trying to get the the right you, to swim. There was a sign on the 40-foot and it's not long gone and you say, women and dogs not allowed here. And that's true. And um, so there were a few women, there was an invasion from a rowboat came in from the sea and the other women turned up. And Nuda was part of it, but she wasn't a prime mover. And about one evening or two after that, I got a phone call at home saying, can you not control that wife of yours? <laughs> I said, I beg your pardon. Yeah. Um, now, we, 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 the reason we like to swim there is that we have kidney trouble and we can swim in our nude there. And we can't do that if women are there. And I said, well, you need a doctor more than anything <laughs> else. Yeah. And um, and then he said something which evoked a little bit of sympathy in me. He said, "Well, the way it is, to be honest, we had a little club there, and we all knew each other, and we could be there on our own, yeah, you know, and us men. So that I was a little bit sympathetic to that, but not very much, yeah." And you, know. I mean, you but, would have
1: shared, of course, with Nuala yeah. a number of her campaigns, wouldn't yeah, you? Uh, yeah. On issues around women's equality.
3: Yeah, I did indeed. Yeah, um, I used to work in the battered wives' home. I tried to set up a group for the husbands. And that was very difficult. Yeah, But there was great, it was interesting, it was history. It was things being overturned, and Noel had enormous energy. And she was a driven person, and for her to have an idea was to bring things into reality. She was a woman with... Ideas used to tumble into her head, and this is quite rare, and I don't think she realised how rare it is to have ideas. Yeah.
1: And her time as Minister oh. of State yeah. uh, with Sponsor for Women's yeah. Affairs and Family Law yeah. I suppose gave her an opportunity to try and change things. But she yeah. did face challenges, didn't she, in that role?
0: Of course, she did. Where did those
1: challenges come from?
3: Sometimes it was in her own party. Um, the time of the Anne Lovett death, um, Nuala went on to say it was national disgrace and a national tragedy. And there were people who I won't name in her own party and they want her censored for that. Um, it's just going to affect my votes in this mm. constituency or that constituency. Um, but the, the, lots of women women TDs of all parties seem to get on very well with other women, and uh, Neve would know that. Um, even though you're different, in, uh, you might be in the, in the same constituency, but you got... Women seem to get on extraordinarily well with other women politicians, as far as I could see. One of best friends was Mary O'Rourke, and you know, they'd be very different in many ways but they were great pals Yeah, She that tells a lovely story actually in yeah. her
1: memoirs when she first ran as an independent candidate yeah. in 1977, yeah. Mayor Rourke, then a Fianna Fáil councillor yeah. sent her a cheque right.
3: yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. to fund yeah. her campaign yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, would that have been experienced with the others would you, what do you, do you know about particularly Brian your your mother's relationship with other mm-hmm. women TDs yes. um, Maureen O'Carroll was elected with your mother in 1954 yes. do yes. you know, were they friends?
2: Yes, Maureen O'Carroll uh, was the mother of Brendan O'Carroll the, the, the comedian and Mrs. Brown, and, a, Mrs. Brown. Mm-hmm. and they lived actually very close to us in, in Finglas we were in, in Glasnevin and oddly enough I don't remember my Mother ever saying uh, anything about uh, Mrs O'Carroll, but I think uh, the 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 question of women TDs was rather different, I think, in those days mm. than uh, later in in, in Brian Newlin's uh, time and Neve Brownox's time. Um, they were fewer, of course, in number. There were a very uh, very small number of them, and they had. If I remember correctly they had a women's room in one room in the in the, the, the my mother's relations with with them are mostly uh, uh, very friendly some some with she was particularly fr- friendly with uh, Kitta Hearn and honor Crowley and uh, she went with them honor Crowley particularly I remember on various uh, she was member of the interparliamentary Union to. To, to meetings on, on one occasion um, we have a photograph of it she went on a delegation to Madrid and uh, we don't have the photograph up on the wall or the medal uh, that General Franco gave to oh. my, to my mother but we have we have the evidence um, and the question though about the, the as it were women's uh, women's issues, is rather complicated. My my mother... There's a more general point about that I should make about both my mother and my father, is that if you look at the the doll record, their collected speeches would probably fill about two pages. They almost never spoke in the doll. Now, why that should be, I, I don't know. My father was an extremely... Intelligent, well-read person. He 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 won first prize in in Ireland in the what was then the, the equivalent of the Leaving Cert in English. And he he was very he had a very literary mind. My mother was very well-educated and and also very intelligent. So why was it that they didn't speak in in the doll? I I have been thinking about this in the in relation to the things I spoke of. Earlier, and there seems to me to have been a a sort of abstraction from the 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 politics of the of the time. Why that should be? Was there some kind of uh, psychic damage, for instance, in relation to my my mother's understanding of the of the the past, and also my father, who was uh, there was uh, talking about the chastisement, for instance, my that my my uncle Pat took took part in what did that mean what did that mean was it were they were they beating up women in 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 the 1910s 19 into the into the 1920s what kind of atmosphere was it for for uh, for women that they they suffered punishment uh, beatings we know from other sources that women were having their heads shaved and tar poured over them and more recently in in the north so Again, why, for instance, was, did, my mother rose to be, become the assistant chief whip? But she was quite, obviously a very capable person. Why did she not get a, a cabinet position, uh, unlike uh, Nulphanel, uh, for instance? Even that of course, should have been in the in the main cabinet. She was a she was she a junior. She was a junior minister. Yeah. A junior minister. Yeah. And my mother should have been a a. a, a would she have
1: aspired to that? Do you
2: think? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I've been thinking about that and, and how little my mother expressed, as it were, ideologically uh, about uh, about the, the. She came from. She came from at least the class of the landed, the landed gentry. Um, she should naturally, if she had followed her, her father and grandfather should have been, A, a supporter of the Home Rule Party, perhaps even more likely to have been a unionist. And she was married to somebody who was... My, I don't know whether my father was a member of the IRA, but when I was growing up, there was a strong box, which it was kind of a thrill to be able to find the key and open it, which I did. I remember when I was, I don't know, my early teens. And what did I find in it? A gun, a little... A little revolver, not a revolver, a pistol, a little pistol, a rather elegant little pistol. Well, that was used for shooting people dead. Uh, did my father ever do that, or what was the awareness of it in the in the in in the family memory? I think it's an important thing in the in this time of the commemoration. We're moving into you know 1918 is the election, the the, the great election of 19. 19- 18 and then the treaty and then uh, the Civil War and I have to say I mean one of the things that I that I say it upset upsets me but you know there is this sort of a, a, a glorification of I'm looking at the Irish Times yesterday there's a comic of Constance Markovich mm-hmm. Constance Markovitch wasn't a comic figure she wasn't she was a, a very serious person she may very well have shot people herself but when you shoot people when you kill people that passes down through the into the psyche of the of the of the of the, the general people we've we made it we've, we've done a wonderful job we for almost 70 80 years we did a great job in forgetting the Great War The ta- tens of thousands of people who took part in the in the the Great War it would be a a, a terrible shame as we move into these years that we should forget what the real origins of of, uh, uh, of our state are. They, were, they came out of a civil war, out of a, ter- a period of ter- terrible violence.
1: Brian, do you think nula would have aspired to a cabinet minister? She would have made, I think, a brilliant minister for justice, for example. Would she have ever aspired, do you think, or saw it in her future? She wasn't
3: politically ambitious, but she was delighted to be a junior minister, and it meant she could get she had a very limited budget of women's affairs. I think it was 100,000 a year, which was minuscule. And she set up a number of things. The Women in business was an idea of hers, and that was successful. Um, I'm just thinking about Brian's mother. And she had not made many speeches on the floor of the doll. And she may have realized that the only way you get elected and re-elected is by doing the constituency work, by getting Mrs. Malarkey's manhole cover fixed and getting the traffic lights down the road. And that's what people elect people for. Nuala lost her seat in election and she had been a very active minister and she'd been very active in, on the floor of the How doll. did that
1: affect her, do you mind me asking, losing her seat that she time? She was
3: very really by it. And then she ran, she got up and ran for the Senate and she was re-elected and then she went again. But it's a sad thing about the, the multi-seat constituency that the person who does the most mundane things on the ground... <laughs> gets re-elected and re-elected and re-elected and the country can be going to pot in the meantime or no change will occur in, in terms of law, legal change or issues that need to be looked at being dealt with seriously and I think that needs to be changed badly.
1: Tom, in your case, your other half did get the cabinet table, one of 19 women uh, since Markovic <laughs> to do it do you remember the day, I mean it must have come as a shock to be there in her, in her first term?
4: It was a shock, uh, but I still will come back to the point that a lot of preparation had <laughs> gone into it. Uh, but it was a shock. Uh, and in fact, picking up on uh, Brian Lynch in terms of the doll, an interesting point, if one looks at the record, uh, Neve was the one who nominated Dick Spring as, for T shock. That vote didn't go through. But she is recorded as Mrs. Neve yeah. Brannock. Well, Mrs.
1: Theresa May, they still use that <laughs> phrase.
4: So, but you had asked the question earlier on about... Uh, Friendly with other, and Brian Brian had made the point about cross party. Mm. I mean, certainly within Labour Party, Neve. Thinking of last evening, uh, Ethna Fitzgerald, Joan Burton. But one other Labour Uh, minister that really should be mentioned is the late Eileen Desmond. And the reason I would mention that is that Neve certainly learned a lot from her, and that was contiguous to the European Union, which is so topical at the moment, we won't use that word that appears much, much too frequently. But in terms of the data that were coming in, and certainly one of the contributions that I made in my time behind doors was statistics, but data from the EU Women's Bureau, the fact that there was a minister who was there with uh, the... European Union, <coughs> common market. You might almost go back and say, in terms of island Desmond. So, just in terms of you would mentioned Countess Markovic to mention island Desmond. Yeah,
1: another one of the widows, actually yeah, a yeah. widow seat. I have, before I open the floor again, <coughs> one question I can't uh, not ask Tom. You were uh, a civil servant. Your wife was a minister. Did you ever meet at events, uh, functions? <coughs> Did you ever have reason to, to have to work together professionally?
4: In this room. the EU presidency, 1996, and the layout of the room was different, obviously. It was the European Commission, as you know, when the presidency opens, comes en bloc, um, and the Irish government was that side. So, Niamh Pranik, Department of Education, uh, this is a statistic that's available on record. I was... My chore for that six months was heading up the EU team as backup to the Secretary General. But on the particular day the meeting took place, unfortunately, our minister was distracted, as you can read in the Irish Times, Michael Lowry. So the Secretary General was sitting in the seat of the minister, and I was stepped up one seat. So there down from me was... Your woman. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't talk, but it it was. And unfortunately, there was no... would have made a lovely photograph. Somebody said, well, you know who he that is? You know who she is. (laughs) It didn't (laughs) happen. But in terms of... We are great fans still of Yes Minister, and it's very funny Mm -hmm. to watch Yes Minister. Uh, Niamh does say that I'm more like Burner than Sir Humphreys. <laughs> but there's, there's certainly many funny things you can see in it. Yeah.
2: My experience <laughs> with comms are, 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 are somewhat similar because in 1973 yeah, I joined the civil service. In fact, I, I worked in the government information services from 73. Well, I actually worked in, in, in there and as an information officer in the Department of Justice until 1980. But I served under, uh, I was in the government information service in 73, 77, serving under Conor Cruz O'Brien, who was a, uh, if I may say so, was a great uh, influence on me, and I dare say a, a, a friend, became a, a, a friend. Uh, so, in fact, while my mother was, a, uh, was in the doll, I was in, in government buildings commuting back and forwards mm-hmm. to, to, to the house.
1: It's a very small country in an even smaller political system. I think, yeah.
4: Can I mention one other one? It is, you told us the statistics were forty-nine years married, so you can all work out the statistics. We were mar- for the twenty-fifth wedding anniversary. I had booked this wonderful holiday to Venice, and the government fell, right? <laughs> and the travel agent that was doing the booking when I went—and I shall not name that travel agent—he he asked. How my ear infection was. <laughs> now we skipped. We, we, we skipped on that, and yes, money was lost. But again, it was an example of the short-term pain for long-term gain. Because she, if she hadn't stayed, because I'm always reminded, of Eve Bramic, she was a minister for education in two governments. There was no guarantee in that rainbow coalition that she would still be a minister. Of could it. It could and, fall and, apart at and, any point. And, and picking up on Brian Lynch's, and this is where the the face of civil servant, again for 1994 when Germany held the EU presidency. And their meeting, their final meeting was in Essen. Uh, I was there as the backup person to the Secretary General. And and I did fly as the person in the back seat, lots of other people. You could well have been on this yes. one. Where Albert Reynolds, no, still titular Taoiseach, took that meeting in Essen. And I'm sure somebody said to me, "You know who that is sitting down the back of that plane? One of those Labour people who pulled the plug on my government."
1: Uh, Brian Fallon, you worked in a different, totally different sector to yeah. to Newla, didn't you? So you wouldn't I was have had in these banking kind of... and insurance. So you people, never had of The most reason.
3: boring things you could do with your life. Yeah. So you never <laughs> yeah. had reason so to come So maybe politics was great. So <laughs> yes. There was a bit of life and fun <laughs> in that. Yeah. And yeah, you met people, interesting people. Yeah.
0: Great. Yeah. Do I have any
1: questions from hmm. the floor at this point? Yeah.
0: The next questioner asked about the gun belonging to Brian Lynch's father, which he found in his home as a child.
2: I think hunting with a with a small pistol like that it was definitely it was definitely human uh, human intended. But I, if you, I mean, when my father joined the the was first elected in the, the nineteen thirty two election, we have a photograph at home of uh, Sean Lamas, Ben Briscoe, who was a Jewish. T D and a I forget my father's in the photograph, but there's a man in a in a leather in a leather overcoat. And I know for a fact, I mean it's a well known historical fact that that a number of the TDs who went who entered the doll on that day were armed because it was it was not inconceivable that there could have been I mean shooting. It was a I mean it's a it's a credit to our democracy that we you know we managed to, to Transfer from a, uh, a civil war uh, to a stable democracy, and have kept it uh, stable for getting on for at least eighty years. Yes, I, I think the the understanding. I mean, I think Tom and Brian belong to a to a, a rather an, a, an earlier generation and knee of two, where the the poison that was in the the atmosphere wasn't uh, had had. Begun to to fade away. Uh, I mean, there was a in the nineteen late nineteen twenties when the Fianna Fail party first entered the Dáil, the feelings were extremely poisonous. Uh, I mean, I'm thinking about another woman TD that that we haven't uh, mentioned, and that's uh, Eileen Lamass. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Lamass family, and and what happened to the Lamass family, to Noel Lamass. His murder up in the in the in the in the Dublin mountains was was, a, was really an appalling act, and that feeling transferred into the doll. I, I remember my father, for instance, in, in, introducing me, and I can still feel his hand, the hand of Dan Breen, who had taken part in the Salahad Bag. Uh, ambush that was such, such an important event in, in our history. Big warm hand, and Dan Breen had killed uh, uh, quite a number of uh, people. So uh, you know that feeling was, was in the doll, and it was very slowly uh, dec- to, to to decline. It became. I mean, we now have a, a, a civil assembly for whatever the disagreements, political disagreements. You don't feel like that the possibility that there that, uh, that members could be shot by members from the other side. Uh, you know, it's it's, a, it's it's quite an achievement.
1: Every political memoir you read, it's always a big shock to a politician system to leave office, whether it's by retirement voluntarily or whether it's through losing a seat. So I'm curious about life after politics, and particularly in both of your cases, both of your mother's. um, Brian Fennell, when Nuala left politics, made the decision to retire, given how busy she had been for years previously, how did she adapt into non-political life again? And what was your life like afterwards?
3: We went. We had an interruption. Holidays when we didn't have to come back for a by-election or anything like that. Um, she she missed politics, and but she, she set up a business and she enjoyed that. It was a challenge. Um, then she got involved. She, she was one of the people who set up the Association of Former Members, and that's still going strong. And it's it's good fun and it's it's interesting. There, I, I haven't been involved in for the last nine years since Doolittle died, but. It was interesting seeing people from different parties, the friendliness between them. Politics was yeah. over, yeah. Um, I'm just thinking what you were saying, Brian, about the Civil War. Nuda's M- M- father was a guard. Uh, he had, when in his early days, he was one of the first guards. In the He was the first intake. And he did his memoir. He recorded his memoirs to Gregory Allen, who was a guard historian. And one of the things he mentioned in it was that he was in the guard station down in Limerick, which was burnt out in the, that part of the Civil War. And um, you know, it's we have we're very lucky. We have a great democracy, Absolutely. and it's it's totally different now. Yeah.
1: Tom Neve left politics, yeah. but she didn't really. She stayed in local government for another ten years.
4: Okay. But as a prelude, there, can I mention, uh, if you've got a pr- problem, better to have two problems <laughs> so you can have a distraction. Because my mother died the day that Neve lost her seat, a proud Kerry woman of ninety-four, and Paul O'Dear, who was in school with Brian Lynch, made the comment. He, friend of mine from the village, Ballybrack, that my mother would be very proud because there were six ministers at the funeral. It was a form of release. <laughs> we won't name the all. But <laughs> the, the interesting thing about Neve is, though, that she went back into local government and that she became Coherlock and and made a promise to herself that she wouldn't leave local government and she found somebody who would succeed her so we're great fans of uh, councillor deirdre kingston these days um, so that was that was different it wasn't a complete it was moving into a new zone and i, uh, I she says it herself, but let me be the person for, for quoting it, that she loves minding other people's business. Now, when you appraise that and analyse it, it sounds rude, but in fact... It's, it's political it's, life that, in Ireland, yeah.
1: I, I think. And yeah, obviously, <laughs> she stayed in local politics, but you had more time together, assuming yes. when the when yes. she was
4: in the door. And, and, and the commonality, um, Brian Lynch has mentioned it, is uh, the fact that we, the royal we, were so close to the centre of power, in other words living at home within short driving distance, it must be really terrible for politicians who are ministers, who have young families, who are in Donegal. Mary cotton uh, being a, ver-
1: a very good example uh, of know, this. Yeah.
4: It, it must be very difficult and again that the young children, we two, uh, a boy and a girl and they were young adults, well our son was doing the leaving cert, and Kleena was uh, starting into doing accountancy. So it was very different from young children, distance from uh, Leinster House.
1: Um, Brian, your mother, what was her life like after she retired? Uh, from Well, the my,
2: my mother was, was uh, I think, into her seventies then. So uh, I, I mean, she was she was retirement age. I mean. Niamh Bernach uh, and Nuala Fennell were uh, an enormous loss to the thinking and, and the politics of, of, of their uh, period. As I say, my, the question about my mother is really her. Uh, 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 what I am interested in, and I've just really be, become interested in thinking about trying to defi- define this, was uh, how little she contributed in the in the. In the in the sense of thinking about about uh, about our uh, politics, uh, and I, I I mean I blame myself for this that I it didn't occur to me really to 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 think about why she didn't make a great a, a greater she wasn't allowed to in part because she was a, because she was a woman. Um, but in her later years, then she she retired, and, uh, and it, I mean, she died in her eighties in in 1989. So ten or eleven years after she uh, after she retired from from politics.
1: Did she remain active in Fianna Fáil after she left? Uh,
2: yes, now, I, that's a good question. She was a member of the national executive. And I think that would have continued for for some time. And I was talking to Tom and Brian earlier about this. The the world changed in a way we regarded the doll a bit as if you you regarded a, a a superior club because we continued to use it as a car park. You could drive in and out of the out of the Dáil because they knew you, and you could use the restaurants and. And it was, uh, but now that that I I think once you've left the doll, I don't think they do. They allow you to get enter the doll the afterwards, collect your collect your stuff out of the office and be gone. You know.
1: I think there's more now. No. Of former members going back with things like even the Arachus Women's Caucus. need probably former members coming back in again. Uh, um, Brian uh, Fennell did Newell stay involved in Finnegale politics, um, which he supported no. other candidates. No. No,
3: and she. It, she supported Libby Mitchell um, to some extent. She, Lula wasn't that interested in politics. She was interested in doing things for women. And I, when she, she was 12 years a politician, and she left when she felt she would nothing more to achieve or nothing more to contribute. Yeah.
1: Do I have any other questions from the floor? Uh, I'll go, yeah, there first.
5: I would not underestimate the importance of Mrs. Malarkey's uh, yeah. manhole in The Great Plan of Things, because very often it's the small things that make life impossible. Mm-hmm. And there's an analogy there between what's happening with mothers trying to rear families and juggle jobs and so on. They're dealing with the equivalent of Mrs. Malarkey's manhole for the, for the politician. And I think that what's extraordinary about these three women is that they did small things that cumulatively became extraordinary, while at the same time doing large things and being public figures and being spokeswomen for the rest of us. I probably am around of age, but I would have found it impossible to rear my children and take on the kind of jobs that had such huge demands from being away from home. So really what I'm trying to say is being a good politician is a bit like being a good mother and manager of a house, and these people did both in the most extraordinary way with the most extraordinary social consciences. So I just want to record their exceptionality.
1: And you want to respond to that?
2: I, yes, uh, uh, I think I was I think I know the speaker <laughs> um, uh, in fact the speaker has, has done a lot of work you could say in the man, of the manhole variety like being the dean of, the, of uh, St. Patrick's College and, and a, a prominent person in, in, in DCU and uh, rearing a family but to, um, I think it's worth making a, a more general point uh, the, the point about Mrs. Malarkey's manhole cover is actually fundamental to our, to our the, the system of our politics. You cannot get elected in this country purely on the basis of your politics or to continue to be elected anyway because the demands of the constituency are so great you have to deal with the people on the ground and that comes out of our multi-seat uh, PR system and you cannot the, the, the almost impossibility of, of imposing a candidate from the center on say somewhere uh, like uh, Kerry if you want to really change the way the, the country works elect people on the basis of their party and have the their, the, their candidacy imposed from from the center. that goes against the gray the, the grain of Irish people because we think we own our, pol- our politicians. They should be working for us rather than working for the nation uh, uh, as a whole. Now that would, be, that would be a revolutionary change. Eamon de Valera tried it I think twice. Mm. Was it twice, twice? He tried to, to, to have referenda to, to change the, the election system and he, that was his main point of view so he could control he, he, he was, a, was a touch of the democratic centralist about, about De Valera.
1: Do Tom or Brian want to
4: respond? Picking up on the multi seat constituencies, it gives a great power to the electorate. And certainly, there are many a time I had to bite my lip where it became quite clear having to answer the door, and my wife would be off probably doing her constituency in Dunleary, her clinic in Dunleary, mm. down Blackrock. Uh, but it would be, they would, would play all of the electors. Which you can't blame mm. <laughs> the electorate for doing it, but it, it, it really gives that extra power that you wouldn't have if it was a single uh, seat constituency. Yeah.
1: Did I have a second question? Was it your, your, oh, good, in the green? Yeah.
5: I'm wondering how you coped on the day of an election count. How, what was your strategy for coping? From, from any of the panel. Thank you.
4: Could, could I answer that one first? Yeah, I'll let you oh, yeah. all respond. Yeah. Yeah. Um, long may tallies continue. <laughs> <laughs> because that's the telephone call, the good tallies, and we've got our son, Magdara, While I say he will not run for election, he does a lot of work <laughs> with the Labour Party and, and loves tallying. So you, you, you will get the advance notice. I mean, we got the advance notice of saying, you know, start writing the nice response, don't be too negative, be very nice about the candidate that has won. <laughs> but So that's what I would say in terms of, of the day um, long may tallies continue, yeah, because it does take a lot of the pain away. You do know fairly quickly uh, what, what, what is going to happen. In terms of the merry moment, it, it, it really... It's, it, Brian Fennell had mentioned internal. This, it, there's the internal dimension within parties, and we're all realists. Not not everybody. Uh, and Claire had mentioned the fact that Neve was one of the six. Not everybody in the Labour Party was shouting cock a hoop because Neve was suddenly going to be made a name, So there is this envy, you might say. Um, and certainly, I personally would would say. Uh, I'm thinking about this and in terms of colleagues, and it it would be, you know, married to a minister, you know. (laughs) What can I do to pinch that little balloon a little bit, you know?
1: Uh, Brian, do you have anything to respond to either of those questions?
3: Election days are days of triumph and disaster. (laughs) The relation and despair, and I've been there for both. And um, the first time Lula was elected, um, she didn't think she was going to be. So it was a day of great um, delight for her. And the time she lost her seat, she had worked herself into the ground as a minister. And this is what I mean about the, the multi-seat constituency. And you have to do Mrs. Mallarkey's manhole cover. I must I don't know where Mrs. Mallarkey lives. But I remember one time in there was a very minor public issue in the area I lived in, and we called a meeting with some of the neighbors, and to that meeting came the Taoiseach of the day, and we're discussing a pedestrian crossing at the local school. Now, I felt it was a terrible waste of that man's time to be there. And maybe he didn't, maybe he got gotten votes, maybe going to funerals gets people votes. But it shouldn't be about that. It should be about getting in there and changing laws and doing things on the broader scale for people. And, and maybe local government needs to be reorganized, that Mr. Malarkey's manhole cover can be done at the local level. Um, maybe we need to go for a system like they have in, say, Germany, where there are local mayors, and France is the same, and they have a good deal of power. Um, and there could be more done in politics then. But that's got, that didn't answer your question. But anyway.
2: Well, uh, you know, I talked earlier about uh, changing the system, but that doesn't mean that, personally, I, I love our uh, present system so, it's so entertaining, but nerve-wracking. <laughs> It
3: beats uh, bullfighting as, as a blood yeah, sport, yeah, And it, and
2: and a great deal of knowledge goes into it. I remember meeting uh, one election day. I can't remember which year it was. The count was held in Bolton Street, Tech, and going in with my mother to the count. We met Garrett Fitzgerald come out, and he said, "Oh, Celia, uh, how, uh, how are you getting on?" Oh, she said, "Garrett, I'm very, I'm very nervous." Oh, Garrett said. Don't be worried," she said. "She'll be elected on the sixth count. You'll, you'll be elected on the sixth count. Gareth had a brain like a computer. He yeah. he had put in the he'd seen the tallies of the first, uh, the not even before the, the the election, but he'd seen from the tallies and he'd worked out that my mother would and my mother was always elected. Was the la, always got the last seat. She never topped the mm-hmm. poll. She was always. Uh, last seat bringing up the rear do do we we want to change that personally as entertainment I mean interestingly there's
5: been a number
1: a number of women to these over the years who did win the last seat because the transfer process actually helped them through I'm going to, so we're going to go to coffee and um, close this fascinating panel. I could be here all day if I could, but I have one thing from each of you, I suppose, to end this. If there could be one reform made to the political system to encourage and to improve women's representation, what do you think that should be? So we've had gender quotas. Is there anything else you think should be done to to improve women, and wider diversity in politics?
4: Quotas, but not on a permanent basis. It, It is and Josefa Madigan, the minister, mentioned it last night. Despite all of quotas and the legislation there, you're still hovering at, what, 20, 22
1: 23%? Okay.
3: I think if women would vote for women, it would change things enormously. And if men would vote for good women, but women should vote for women, they should give them a chance. And it's the first preference vote that really counts. Even if, you, if it's a totally different party and you couldn't give that woman a first preference vote, give her a second or a third. It, it counts. Vote for women. So let's kind of change.
4: Kind new phrase today. We need Sean moments as well as Sean Mary moments. moments. As well as
1: Mary <laughs> moments. And the last word uh, to Brian. Nitch.
2: Uh, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm ambivalent about uh, gender quotas. Ideally, I'd like to see a doll which had Noractus, uh, which was. Fifty-fifty membership, and I, I think we're gradually, historically moving towards that. And uh, you know, I'm, it doesn't offend me uh, greatly that they—you they, have uh, present uh, quotas, but essentially, it's a, it, it's a these are large social questions, and hopefully, in. Perhaps even in my own lifetime, we might get towards 50 50
5: membership.
1: Okay, so, with that, I just want to, to close what I think you'll agree has been an absolutely fascinating panel about three remarkable women and the and men in their lives. So, thank you very much to, to Tom, to Brian, and to Brian.
0: Thanks for listening to this podcast from Why Not a Woman, celebrating women in public and private life in Ireland. 1918 to 2018 The Women's History Association of Ireland's annual conference for 2018 For more information on the association check out the website at womenshistoryassociation.com